Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 15-minute conversation between myself and Evergreen family office partner, Jeff Yulberg. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right. Well, Jeff Yulberg, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. A couple of questions I want to ask you today. We're going to keep this short, but I want to start off, you know, we're, we're interviewing this an hour after market close, uh, and the Dow just closed above 36,000 for the first time. So let's just get quick feedback on what's happening in the market. Market's obviously way up, all-time highs. We're, we're celebrating that. But, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on current market conditions? Uh, the market has been quite the rally over the last 18 months. It's been uh, a positive move that has seen very little correction, very few corrections, excuse me. Uh, clients are certainly concerned and asking if we should be making adjustments. Uh, at this point in time, we are still fairly aggressive, aggressively positioned. Uh, we aren't telling clients to make major alterations and get extremely defensive within their portfolios. We do think that this could be a, a volatile couple months here. Uh, valuations still are extremely high. And uh, because of that, we think that the market is susceptible to a sell-off. Uh, one thing that I think is really going to dictate what happens over the next two months is current interest rates and inflation concerns. I think every time there's a new inflation number right now, that's really driving the markets one way or the other. And you know, with that is interest rates. So I think if interest rates continue to climb, we'll see some softness in the, the equity markets. But as we look through into 2022, from a firm perspective, we still feel like we haven't quite got that big tailwind from the economy opening up. You know, this summer we had kind of a start and stop period where it looked like things were going to be good. Everyone was vaccinated and, and we saw some real life in the economy. And then, as everyone knows, by July or August, things started to slow down again. And so from our perspective, while valuations are extremely high, you know, if some of this inflation concern starts to subside, which which is a big if, uh, we think that there could be a little bit more room for the market to rally as the economy opens up, as people start to go back to work in 2022, and as we get more of a vibrant economy. Uh, and hopefully maybe some of the, the, the economic growth will help to make earnings look a little bit more palatable and valuations then uh, also easier to stomach. So that would be the hope. Right now we aren't, again, saying that we should be really aggressive. For clients that have new cash flow or, or new money to invest, new liquidity, we're being a little bit more patient than maybe we were eight or 10 months ago. We were certainly investing in risk assets, but like I said, we're probably going to be buying that in uh, as the market corrects or kind of shows which way it's going to head over the next few months. But I guess from, from your perspective, Jeff, you meet with probably more clients than anyone at the firm. What have you been hearing? What are their concerns? Is that what you've been hearing as well? And kind of some concern or kind of what has been your take from, from the clients? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, there is a new kind of level of fear that I'm hearing from people, which is, which is, you know, you never, you never uh, expect to have it during these type of advances. I mean, I remember like tremendous fear 
uh, 18 months ago, you know, during the sell-off in March and just the terror in people's voices of, am I going to lose everything? You know, even in, even in more balanced strategies, you know, just like there was so much unknown then, you know, and so now we've had this incredible run-up and I just think people don't believe it, you know, so I think there's like, there's two fears that I hear. One is like, it's too good to be true. And, you know, I just can't make sense of current market environment when, um, you know, like just having a hard time making sense of why they would be up 20% last year and 20% again this year or whatever it may be. Just like, it, it, you know, still in the middle of the pandemic, still with people unvaccinated, still with dealing with some COVID issues. Uh, they're just having a hard time understanding that and like not trusting that it's, it's based on reality. Uh, so there's a lot of fear there. The other thing I hear is sort of like the fear of missing out thing mm-hmm. where for people that have tried to time the markets on their own, you know, with whatever models they use or just their intuition or, or, or whatever, you know, missing out on the big move up. And now this fear of like, Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Or now what am I supposed to do with all this cash? And everybody that I know is making 10% minimum, let alone 15 or 20% or 30% or whatever. And so there's a big kind of like sense of, am I doing this wrong? When is the time to get back in? I've tried to be patient with it and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the next correction, but then it just like, hasn't happened. Right. Right. You get these, like recently we had that five percenter and you know, like that wasn't meaningful enough for, for many to really kind of like take a bigger stance into it. And I was talking to a guy just recently who, I mean, he cashed out before the sell-off last March. So it was pretty favorable time in terms of exit. He sold everything. So we went to cash in late 2019 and then the markets were down, what, 35, 40% right there in mm-hmm. March. And I said, well, why don't you get back in? He's like, well, I thought it was going to go down 50 or 60%, right? And so you see these things, and he's been in cash the whole time, right? right. Missed the entire move up. Like, would have been better to just stay fully invested, ride the whole thing out, and be where he would be today. And so that's probably the biggest thing that I worry about is people that – that try to do the all in thing, right? So, right. All, you know, all in or all out, and this is the right time to be in, or this is the right time to be out. I much more prefer our method of finding a target asset mix that we think is appropriate given the client's financial plan and goals and risk tolerance, and then and then blending around that and kind of like, you know, managing around that as opposed to being 50% cash or 80% cash or even 100% cash. And the only way you win is if the market goes down, right? It's just like too right. big of an all-in move. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the other issue with that is that I think those same clients that feel like they missed out, they also are in their that Tina environment where there is no alternative. And so they, they want to get back in the market, but they're afraid to buy high-quality debt in case interest rates move up and then they lose money that way. So I, mean, I just think we're in that environment where if you have new liquidity or you've been out, dollar cost averaging into this market makes a lot of sense. I think there are some real good opportunities in international markets, uh, especially emerging markets out of Asia, I think really present real good opportunities. If you look at the return perspective or the returns in those markets relative to the U.S., there's a huge disconnect. And we think there's going to be a reversion to the mean in that. And I think that what will happen is that you'll see underperformance in the coming years from the U.S. And those emerging markets will likely outperform and, and clear that or sh- narrow that gap uh, here in the coming months. So for those clients that are looking, well, where can I go? I think that is a good good spot to start investing today. The other thing that I hear a lot, this is going to tie into my next question, but I hear like, what am I supposed to do with my bond portfolio, right? Just more and more commentary around bonds having a more challenging environment forward looking. And sure. for clients that have even 
30% of their allocation to bonds or 50 or 60 or even 80, right? Uh, clients coming up for air and saying like, wait, 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 I've been able to make five or six or even 7% on this allocation for the last decade, but I don't want to make 1% on it for the next decade. And so what am I supposed to do, right? Or, or even more than that, like, I don't want to lose money on it over the next five years. Right. And so just kind of like, just kind of like, how am I supposed to invest this money if I don't want to rush into stocks right now, but I don't really love uh, owning, sure. you know, as many bonds as I currently own. So my question is, for clients like that, right, what have we done in terms of launching two separate private funds that is trying to combat that or trying to add additional levers for clients to pull on in a variety of different market environments? So talk about what you're seeing in the private space right now and then specifically our involvement in it. Okay. I'm going to first address kind of the income question that you're bringing up. And I don't think that it's solely addressed by just talking about the private market. I think that's a component of what we would do. But I think today is is a period of time where you can make an argument that it's never been more important to have an active manager on the income side. On the equity side, people can index and passively manage their equities. I think most of them are going to do okay on the public market securities, on the private or excuse me on the income side i think there are three ways that you can really add value and cash flow um one would be if we're in a pure bond portfolio what we would do is we would look at credit risk and uh we would really try to play movements and spreads so when we think spreads are going to blow out uh we would be short duration and have really low yielding income portfolios as spreads do blow out, we would rotate into things that are paying us much more. So we wouldn't be hit as hard as interest rates move up. So that's where I'm saying on the active management side, on a pure bond portfolio, just indexing, I think you're locking in, not necessarily loss or not just indexing, uh, just laddering a bond portfolio, excuse me. I think you're, you're missing a opportunity to get upside by being more active on the bond portfolio. The thing that we did about 18 months ago and really in the middle of the pandemic is we basically lowered our bond allocation to one of the lowest levels we've ever had. And what we did is we increased our allocation to equity income names, dividend paying stocks, uh, master limited partnerships that pay distributions, companies that are more cyclical that will do well as the economy rallies and they also pay a higher cash flow and they have more risk. So we, we realized that, but when bonds were where they were at, uh, at the bottom of the pandemic, you know, we thought that the risk reward was, was in our favor there. And so I think that having some equity income in your portfolio in case we get inflation makes a ton of sense. And I think it's a, an area of the market that it's tough to passively invest in. Again, I think the income side really, you need to have an active manager on the income side in today's world to get those returns and the cash flow that you are used to getting, you know, just by simply laddering a bond portfolio two decades ago or 15 years ago. Right. So those are the areas that I think any good income portfolio must have in it. And again, I think it's really hard to do that passively or even to do it on your own. So we're coming to the end of the year. This is a big quarter in terms of reviewing taxes, reviewing uh, any, any changes ahead. What are you seeing from an estate planning uh, perspective that clients are thinking about doing, excited about? Like, Give me some insights on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest changes are likely to hit um, 
are ultra high net worth clients. I don't think that there are many clients in the private wealth management group, you know, 25 million in investable assets and below that really should be panicking and, and trying to decide what kind of gifts they should be making to their heirs, um, pending what happens in Washington over the next couple of months. Uh, two months ago, I would have said it looks really likely that the estate taxes, the federal estate tax exemption is going to go down from approximately 24 million for a couple down to 12 or 12 to six. Today, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're actually going to do that. If the bill's passed, that it, it may stay exactly where it's at. So with our ultra high net worth clients, there are some that we're having the discussions. They have to have a large enough estate where putting $24 million into an irrevocable trust is okay with them. Um, and then they also need to have the liquidity to put the $24 million or something that they feel like they can gift right now uh, to those trusts. So it's not a big net of people that we're working through these issues for. Like I said, I think the overall message would be to look, but if you're not in that range, I don't know that there's a whole lot of movement for most of the, the private wealth management clients today. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm going to get you out of here on, on rivalry week with the final score prediction. You know, we grew up, I've known, I've known you since what, fourth grade. You were, you grew up as a Nebraska fan. You happened to marry. Oh, into, uh, you, yeah, come on. What's all right. So grew up in Nebraska <laughs> in a fan, decade. married into the. <laughs> married into the Oregon da- Duck family. Um, you know, my parents met at UW. My grandparents met at UW. So, you know, cool. I bleed purple. Uh, and I think we're going to win every game we play. So final score prediction, UW, Oregon. I think at last I saw Oregon's favored by six and a half, which, which uh, that seems light to me. So I'm curious <laughs> what, what's your final score prediction for this weekend? Oh, man. I think that the Ducks should win. I think they're just better up front on both sides of the ball. But they've been, you know, equally as bad as UW at points during the season as well. I, they lost to Stanford. UW just beat Stanford this weekend. So who knows? It's a rivalry. It's in Washington. Anything could happen. But I, I agree. I think the Ducks should handle them based on how the duck, the dogs played the first six or seven games. But we'll see. Anything can happen in a rivalry game like that. You don't have a final score prediction? I think the win by more than six and a half. <laughs> That's what I said. That's it seems a little asking. light, doesn't it? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a crazy season. I mean, for us Husky fans, I've just, I had no idea that it was going to be like this. But, um, yeah. you know you know what would solve all? Uh, big get-out-of-jail-free card would, be, would yeah. be beating Oregon. I mean, yeah. that just makes it an entire season. So, I, you know, I, I went to school down in Oregon. I played baseball at a small school down in Oregon for at least for a year and a half or so and ended up graduating there, uh, George Fox University. And so all through college, I just got worn out by by Duck fans because of being a Husky fan. And so and then they went on that epic, whatever, 15-year run of yep. winning every single game until the 70-21 to 21 game down in Eugene a few years ago. But it's been, it's been a tough grind. But... Anyways, go dogs. Go dogs. Hopefully Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I appreciate having you on. We'll get you yeah. back. All right. Talk soon. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.